Hello and welcome. You're listening to Epic Podcast, Emergency Preparedness in Canada. My name's Joshua. And I'm Grayson. And this episode is entitled Chat with the Chief, a candid conversation with retired Calgary Emergency Management Agency Chief, Tom Sampson. In this episode, we are very lucky to be speaking to an emergency management legend and mentor slash hero to both myself and Josh. Listen as we discuss his entry into the field, his reflections after leading through some of the worst disasters in Canadian history, and how he built one of the largest municipal emergency management agencies essentially from scratch. All this and more on this episode of Epic Podcast, Current Relevant Canadian. Well, Grayson, I'm pretty sure uh, since the moment we started the podcast, we've been wanting to interview uh, Chief Sampson for a long time. But for a variety of reasons, whether uh, somebody was off managing a disaster or uh, we just weren't sure what uh, topic uh, to interview him about, it it didn't uh, happen until now. So I'm really happy this interview is coming together. Yeah, from Pine Lake to the 2013 Southern Alberta floods to the COVID-19 pandemic, he certainly has seen his fair share. So when he announced his retirement, we knew we had to get him and share his reflections on his career. That's right. And if you haven't had the pleasure of meeting uh, uh, Chief Samson uh, personally, uh, anybody who's met him knows he's uh, an excellent communicator and one of the most uh, charismatic guys around. But he has quite a, a tenured history uh, in emergency services and emergency management, uh, being with the city of Calgary for some 35 years, uh, working uh, initially as a paramedic, advanced care paramedic, and then into a chief position with the former Calgary EMS. Uh, he also worked with uh, as a deputy chief with the Calgary Fire Department and uh, transitioned into the chief position with the Calgary Emergency Management Agency. Along the way, uh, awarded the, the Meritorious uh, Service Medal, as well as the Emergency Management Exemplary Service Award for outstanding contributions to emergency management. You know, I think I heard the word chief more than once in the head job description there. He truly is the chief of emergency management. So please listen closely to his interview recorded as part of an International Association of Emergency Managers Lunch and Learn in April of 2021. Tom Sampson, thank you so much for joining us for this epic podcast recorded live at the IAM Lunch and Learn. I just want to start off by getting a little bit of context as to entry point into this job and how your understanding of the role of emergency managers has evolved over time. You know, Grayson, way back, my dad was worried that I wasn't going to do a thing. And he sent me for an assessment, right? And, and, and one of these uh, KPMG managerial assessments, and they said, what should you do? And they said, you should probably be in the medical field. Uh, you, you should be in the service industry, those sorts of things. So I went through a lot of things before uh, I got to emergency, emergency management, but they all helped me. I was a, a park ranger with peace officer status. You know, I'd stop drunks. Uh, and, uh, you know, I, I was uh, on the volunteer Coast Guard and I was I was involved in a ski patrol and a whole bunch of different things, a hotel assistant manager. And uh, um, those all culminated in great experiences, worked in land development for a while. But what I carried forward was I went into paramedicine and uh, in 83, I went to say become paramedic. And one of the things that we underestimate, I think all of us do is the value of that education of being a police officer, a paramedic, a firefighter. It's not carte blanche. It's not uh, the perfect ticket. But I will say that it set me up very well in terms of street cred plus the education. And I, I had more street cred than I did education, but I had gained a series of courses that helped. 
And that paved my way to this job. It was a, you know, a really a fortuitous thing. I hadn't thought that I'd ever be in emergency management, but it ended up that everything that I'd done in my life, so a broad and varied life, gave me the experience to be uh, the chief of emergency management in Calgary. And when you got the job, when you entered that realm, what was the job description? How did you bring SEMA from where it was to, to where it is now? I don't think I ever saw a job description. I don't think I ever got one. And, uh, you know, in, in, in those days, we were looking around trying to figure out who did what and how we could do it. And, you know, uh, people would say things like, oh, you know, for this job, you have to have political acumen. What I didn't realize it was that what you really need to take was a hostage negotiation course. Best three-day course I ever took, put on by the RCMP, CSIS, and Calgary Police. And uh, that helps you with your political acumen. Because in essence, when you walk into scenes, and Grayson, you and I were both up at the Chuck Egg Wildfire. I mean, you had two different parties that were not in agreement on how to manage things. And yet, we literally sat in between two feuding communities, or two communities, not feuding, weren't getting along terribly well. And we created a relationship between them. And, and so there's this whole thing about when you go into that job, what am I going to do? And while I knew I had to build a network, but what that meant was being constantly available to that network when they needed me and being available 24-7 to engage with them, which is an exhausting process. Um, and, and, and you know, uh, they said, well, we're looking for a leader. And certainly, you know, from an from a EMS perspective, I had some of that. But that leadership was to figure out which way to go, which was uh, probably the hardest thing. And so what we did was went out and took a look around. You know, I think I got my template from New York City, which was just, you know, uh, luckily the commissioner spent some time with us, but it was a wide open door. That building relationships in real time is something I've had the honor of uh, experiencing in your EOC. How do you set up the space and the people and the, the organization for success in that real-time relationship building? Well, there's a couple of things. And I, and I would say one of them is um, it is about either you have the relationship or somebody else might have one. And, you know, I'll, I'll tell you a bit of a story. I mean, I, I, I don't know many people that are as connected as somebody like Chief Ken McMullen. I've had instances where I'm going into a situation, nobody knows me, but somebody knows Ken. And I'll say, hey, Ken, give him a call. Right. Could you give them a call, tell them I'm coming in and, and just talk to them a little bit about the fact that I'm coming in. Those kind of things break ice, but also that, you, you know, your approach. Uh, I, I remember when we walked into I, to this day, I remember walking into Slave Lake and we, you know, a long time ago now, but we were both really tired and we didn't have any relationship. We walked in and said, how can we help? And they said, we are in charge and we had no clue. And so that is that whole piece about needing to be adaptable, needing to be able to, um, you know, uh, roll with whatever comes at you. But if I take you back to your original question, you asked about SEMA, we didn't have a template and we had to kind of muddle through it. And, and I think there's a piece there that I need to chase down with you about, you know, getting good people and, and getting people to help you do it because it's not one leader. One of the things I really enjoyed about that space that you created, the EOC, and, and I feel like I need to talk about the EOC a little bit because it's such yep. an amazing place, uh, is that unlike a lot of the other emergency operations centers or uh, responder-centric areas that I've been in, there are no walls. There's It's just an open 
room. How did you sell that? And how did you get over the, the classic concerns of a little bit of secrecy and controlling information in that, in that realm? Yeah, I, I, I'm not sure that we ever had that problem. In, in, in Calgary, we were always challenged with the fact that we never had a lot of room. I mean, we historically had handled a, a number of you know, the, the 05, the 09 floods, and we hadn't had a lot of room. And so everybody was in everybody's face. We had to do some things in that open structure. So one, you, you know, you note that there's about five breakoff rooms around it. And so we certainly, there were times where we gave uh, the police, for example, probably the people who feel the most need for that security, we gave them separate breakoff areas. But one of the things we did do is not force everybody onto our system. You know, you think about these fights that you've had, you know, as you, as you move forward, but one of the biggest things we did was get open internet in there so that police could have their own connection, their very own connection, not ours. And, uh, you know, so, so too could AHS from a sort of confidentiality perspective. And so when you do those things and you meet their needs or you anticipate their needs before they actually come up, those people will play with you and they'll come into that environment. And, uh, you know, we did have some challenges in early days with police. You know, they'd send the equivalent of a constable or, or a very young sergeant into the room. And uh, we ended up rewriting our MEP to say, the municipal emergency plan to say, if you bring people into the room, whoever that person is, they're your representative and they're they, they get to make decisions for the organization. Uh, you know, your, def your organization is defined by the people that, that, that make it, that, that are they're a part of it. And that even includes agency members. There are some agency members that aren't the right agency members. And you better go talk to their leader and say, you know, is that your best person that you should be putting forward? Those are very difficult conversations, but they're worth having. And so there was the the, I think the influencing side, but there was also the push side to people. Here's what we need you to do. And it's enshrined in our municipal emergency plan. I want to talk a little bit more about that question of the job description. So we know you didn't have much of a job description coming into your role, but what would you say based on your experience is the job description of a big city director of emergency management or chief of emergency management? Yeah, no real, no real job description. In fact, uh, you know, the, the comment that was said to me is, I want you to come in and make it work, right? And, uh, and, and Chief Bruce Burrell, I got to give him a lot of credit. He just sort of said, you know, Tom, I'll, I'll have your back. And he did. There was a number of, uh, you know, in that day, there's a number of fire deputies who would have liked to have uh, assassinated me. And indeed, they tried. Um, and, uh, and, you know, Bruce would have my back and let me uh, work on the things that I needed. So you, you, your question was a little bit more about the job description. You know, I, I, I feel sorry uh, for, for, for emergency managers, even though I was one. Your job description is to be able to take on uh, an unfathomable incident and come up with solutions that somebody has never contemplated before. And, and, and you know, you sit there and you think, wow, that's, that's quite the job description, but everybody thinks that you have got the sort of the golden room where you, you know, you, you grab the screen here and you move it over to the side and you grab this screen and pull it down and you've got instant access to everything. And as we know, we don't, we have turf and we have all of those sorts of things. So the, you know, the, the job description for an emergency manager today is, you know, and, 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 I, and, I, and I discount me because I'm gone, right? But is to be superhuman. 
right? And, you know, you and I were talking the other day, Grayson, about some of the things that you were having to deal with and, you know, in a faraway community that, that you know, you'd never dealt with or built relationships with them. And you've got to go establish those relationships. And so a big part of that job description is, is figuring out how you're going to deal with the defining moments in the world. And I, I love that line in, in Tim Cup. It's a movie, uh, but, but, you know, either you'll define the moment or the moment will define you. And, and so, you know, I, I did get a reputation of somebody who is overly consulted, you know, consultative. Uh, I, I talk to people a lot, but at the end of the day, I'd also make a decision. And so, you know, in, in many ways, I got the opportunity to, to develop my own job description to say what it looked like. But I, I think that the challenge, and, it, and if you look across our country, each of these defining moments is causing people to lose their jobs. They're, they're, they're losing their jobs. And, and, and it's either because they, they didn't get tight enough with their political forces, uh, they didn't under, have access to their, their city manager, they had somebody on top of them that was looking to squish them uh, or, or looking for them to be the scapegoat. I often used to say, you know, I, I understand that if, you know, that I might lose my job in this role. If I do, I want you to treat me well. I want you to walk into that meeting, wink at me and tell me uh, that it's all going to be okay. Um, but, uh, you know, you, you need that kind of support in these jobs and the, and the job description I mean, I could list all the standard things for you. You know, must have the capacity to write politically. You guys know those things. I'm talking about the things that actually uh, save your bacon. You know, the, the capacity to not dither. You, you know, I, I remember the day we had the big snowstorm in Calgary and, and we ended up calling it both Edmonton. Our friends in Red Deer came down. Some folks came up from Southern Alberta. And, uh, you know, I, I phoned the city manager and said, look, you know, I'm going to spend some money here. And he said, yep, okay. And, you know, I, I knew I was spending about, you know, somewhere between two and $500,000. And um, we cleaned that up. And when I phoned him for the debrief, <laughs> couldn't get to him. And he actually took two minutes and 38 seconds on the debrief. And his comment for me was, you didn't do the, you know, you made it happen. And, and that's what I needed. If there's a danger in emergency management right now, it's that we're all focused on the pandemic. And that there's, as we all know, um, there's there's tens or twenties of other things that might get us that will be um, maybe not equally as destructive, but certainly uh, defining. I think you hit on something huge there is that uh, emergency management is not just leading through crisis, but it's leading through crisis while under intense scrutiny. And I was going to ask this question a little bit more delicately, but how did you avoid getting fired all these years? How did how did you build your team, get them to work together? How did you lead through some of the most damaging and most expensive uh, disasters in Alberta's history and still come out the other end, you know, with a family and, and friends and relationships still intact? One of the things that I was very fortunate was always to recruit very bright people. And not just bright in terms of school smarts, but in terms of their capacity to put the puck in the net. And I think that that, um, that is a, 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 you know, a, a secret that, uh, that getting good people, good people who can push back on you, good people who are loyal, but, and loyal to the point that they'll tell you if you're wrong. And that's what I mean by loyalty. I don't want somebody to lie for me. What I want you to do is tell me if I'm incorrect. In terms of survival, well, I, I can tell you a couple of things. I used to broach 
on a regular basis with whoever was the new council or whoever was the chair of our emergency management committee. This is a tough job. And one day you may need to fire me. This is what I hope that you'll do before you fire me is you'll talk to me if there's a problem. And I need to know there's a problem before there's a problem, you know, in your mind. I do not want things to fester with you. And they call me in and say, I want to talk about what's been going on for the next the last eight months. I'd actually like to know that night what went wrong. I'll, I'll go back to slave one more time, just for the purpose of, they said, you're in charge, Tom. And I said, that's, that's great. Happy to, happy to help you. But I'm going to consider myself fired at the end of every day, every day. And I will come to you the next morning and ask you whether you want me to take the helm. And so we'd walk in at six o'clock in the morning and there would be uh, the mayor and, and, and senior leadership. And I'd say, seriously, do you want me to work for you today? Uh, and, and the understanding was if I was going to work for you for the day, I would be making the decisions and that we wouldn't have a committee meeting. I was going to make a decision and that we were going to go forward on that. And that when I say I was going to make a decision, I was going to make that decision based on the advice that I got with the people around me, those good people around me. Um, I would also argue that you can run two incidents side by side. And it, 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 let's say you run and you manage both those incidents perfectly well. But on the first incident, you, you do communications and you talk to people and you call the mayor and council and you call your, your, your leader, whoever your leader is. And they're clear about what the dilemmas are. And you paint the picture of what the horizon is looking for, looking like for you. Uh, and, and then you go to the public and you say, I don't know how long this is going to be. You're, you know, you're honest and, and people look at you and go, he's telling me the truth. So that's incident A. But in incident B, you just do the good job and you don't talk to anybody. And in incident B, you will probably fail. Incident A, you will do well. And so when I talk about good communicators, I think one of the, one of the areas that's completely underestimated in emergency management is the capacity to have a good communicator and to have that communicator tell you that you're off track or tell you that you're missing points and, and that there's something else that you need to address. And, you know, I can remember, well, Ben, he's on the line, but Joni Delore is coming in and saying, can I shut the door? Because you're missing these, the following points. And uh, when, you, when somebody does that for you, A, you better listen, and B, you better not get upset at them, even though they might be slightly insulting you. That's your survival. And, you know, you, you know and, I, and I think there's another piece. I'll just go into it quickly. We tried to create the, the understanding that SEMA wasn't just our, our staff of 28. It wasn't just the staff of 28. It was all the primary, secondary, and tertiary members. I mean, we gave them memorabilia. Uh, you know, we gave them coins. We always referred to them as agency members. They were our drivers of what we did. We shook their hands we, uh, and we spent FaceTime with them. We fed them well. We did all those things because you can't have any success or failure be yours. It's actually got to be the teams. And, and, by, and I, by team, I don't mean just the team of SEMA, a team of 28. I mean the team of 60 agency members and their primary, secondary, and tertiaries. And we were, we were, you know, I, I, I was so blown away in terms of, you know, my retirement because I had people come up and tell me all the things that we'd done with them and how fortunate that was. And, and you know, and I, I would kind of laugh and go, man, I, I didn't know I was helping you, but I'm glad it, I, I'm glad it worked. So, and there's also a, a final piece about not getting fired. And that is 
watching who you get in a fight with. You know, uh, police chiefs and fire chiefs can swing a lot of weight. I, I know that because I've got into, into tussles with them. Uh, and, you know, we had to adopt uh, very clearly. And it was, you know, it was uh, one emergency management officer who got carried away with a police officer. And, and uh, you know, we had to adopt uh, a stance, which was we believe in unity and leadership. And people would say, oh, you mean unified command? And I'd say, no, actually, I don't like unified command, which I, which I don't. I, I, I like getting together and I like agreeing on which way we're going to go. And I call that unity and leadership. But we had a second piece, which was autonomy of command. And I would look at those police chiefs and those fire chiefs and say, you will never find me telling you what to do. You know, you will never say, I will never say arrest that man. Or, you know, I think you should attack the fire from the B side right now. You won't find me saying those things because you cannot challenge those people. You will not win. You actually need them on your side. Or if they're not on your side, they at least need to know that you're predictable and what you're going to do. And, uh, and so it's a huge piece about successful emergency management and surviving, which is keeping people in the loop. I know that you're probably going to go here, but I'll, I'll say there's one more thing at the wrap of every sit wrap, every sit wrap. I would ask three, you know, three questions. First question, what are we not thinking of? And I, and, and I just, for a second, Grayson, I just want to go off and just say, sometimes I had to plant people and say, I need you to say, we're not thinking of this. Just, just please say it. And I feel like I did that once to somebody in the school board to ask a question around uh, something completely not school-based. And so we went around the table, what are we not thinking of? And this person stood up for me and said, I don't get how we're, you know, why it's all still closed and why we're, and it's really not that question. It's, it's not that question you need. What you actually want to empower is that somebody from a school board might ask a question about a road closure. And then, and then that starts this incredible chain of events, which you know, somebody from fire asks why the, the rec center is still closed or why we're doing X, Y, and Z, and they own what's going on. So the first question, what are we not thinking? Second question, who have we not involved? Like who needs to actually be sitting here at the table that we haven't called in? And you will get some amazing answers, right? Uh, you look at up at, at the Fort uh, Mac fires, and I know they ask those questions and they got you know, greater representation from industry. And uh, we did the same. Um, Scott Crockett brought in all kinds of people to the Chuck Egg wildfire, not into the EOC, but into a meeting immediately following it. And then the last thing is, who have we not told? Like, who's our bosses? Who are our audiences that we've not told? In the 2013 flood, we did a really good job of communicating with the Building Owners and Managers Association in Calgary. Did a lousy job communicating with business. And we fix that up by getting a great relationship with the Chamber of Commerce. So the piece to surviving and the piece is to engage, have people understand or believe that they have a role to play and it's, that it's their agency too. And that's critical to your success. So you don't have, you know, Tom and a, a deputy or, you know, assistant chief or anybody else thinking and making the decisions and probably going off track. You have a whole, uh, a whole group of people who are giving you insight and guiding you on your way. And, uh, and I'll tell you that your after action review, if you ask those three questions, what are we not thinking of? Who have we not engaged? Who have we not told? 
you know, you get to your after action report and somebody says, I really don't understand why we never brought in X, Y, or Z. And you go, wow, that, that's great. You know, thank you for that feedback. Would have been fantastic if we'd raised it at the time, right? And, uh, and I often find that, you know, our after action review went better because of that. And if I just go into that for a second, one of the other things we did was we made after action reviews somewhat anonymous so people could fill them in. And I did that because one day police came out and said after an after action, they said, uh, hey, that was a great call. Um, but, you know, we need to talk because we didn't talk about anything that we felt was wrong. And I went, oh, we have to figure out another way because, you know, no after action report really is complete unless, you know, you can talk about what you think was wrong. As a, a coin carrying SEMA agency member, I very much appreciated that sort of broad base engagement. And I definitely always felt like the incident problems were my problems as well. One of the, the last things I was wondering if you could chat about, I don't think I've ever seen an emergency manager on the news as much as yourself. You have a hugely uh, productive and amazing relationship with media. And in fact, the media room at the Calgary Emergency Management uh, Agency was named after you upon your retirement. How did you use media in disaster and why is that so important? I, I you know, growing up in EMS, we kind of believed the media were our partners. To this day, to this day, I will remember Ralph Reynolds perished in a, in a motor vehicle accident uh, in South Calgary. And um, I remember uh, being on that scene and I remember going up to the, to the media that were there and I said, I need you to leave this one alone. And well, why Tom, why? And I said, please just walk away and, and uh, I'll, I'll catch you on the next one, but let's leave this one alone. And they actually folded up their cameras and they left. We hadn't been able to talk to any of Ralph's family at the time. And we had had, you know, an absolutely incredibly rough call. And, uh, and so I think I was trained early that if you treat those people like their family, if you treat them with respect, they will treat, they will give you a fair shake. I, I, I had a few people not give me a fair shake, but, you know, Cavello, uh, used to say prep before you go in and know, you know, here's the three things and here's the three things behind that. And, and, and I would say that we did those things. Sometimes we did them in the stairwell as we were walking up the stairs, uh, you know, to the media center. Um, but we always tried to give them the straight goods. And, and the other part is never lie to them. You know, if you want to say to that media, I'm not going to address that now, but I'll tell you at three o'clock today, if I can, you know, they will honor that. And they will also, they're, they're people just like us. And they value that kind of straight up honesty in the relationship. The other piece for the media though, and the public and yourself is projecting where it's going. You know, uh, in 2012, we got the flood maps for Calgary and we knew what could happen. And we were told that we could not share those flood maps with anybody. And, um, we, we pulled people in and said, you know, we're not allowed to share these, but we're, uh, you know, you're our agency members, so we're not sharing them beyond the agency. And we rolled those flood maps out to people and we all looked at them like, you know, who was put these together? That couldn't possibly be the case that, that you know, we could have water flow right through downtown Calgary. And, you know, that probably saved my life. We all know that. Um, 
a secret's only a secret if you keep it yourself. And if you tell uh, 60 people or 60 agency members, somebody's going to talk. And somebody did talk. And that's a good thing. It got out. Calgary had flood maps. And, and can we see them? And, and people went and looked at them and they knew what were the potentials were. I think those three questions at the end of each situation report, the we burn through the red tape motto on the top of the entrance to the EOC, that idea of we don't let each other fail and we all own the incident and your constant approach to, you know, oversharing, but in a very tactical way has really been an incredible benefit to Calgary. And in case I haven't said it enough, thank you so much for your service to the Calgary Emergency Management Agency, to Calgary and to Alberta. What a great uh, conversation that was. It's always uh, a pleasure hearing somebody in a senior leadership position uh, sharing some legitimate uh, tricks of the trade as uh, candidly as uh, Chief Sampson did. No kidding. You know, some of the things that struck me were he innately is able to take all this emergency management theory and just tell us how it's done. So we hear lots of people talking about engagement. This is how you do engagement and empowerment. You give people coins. You give people the incident problems. You empower people through inviting them into your space. Like that's how you do engagement. And you know, I don't, I don't really hear that very often anymore as we talk about these concepts. But he, he was just a doer. Yeah, getting down to the tactics. Uh, you know, it, it's interesting. I mean, some of the theories are are not necessarily conventional. Uh, mm. Certainly, the the direction of emergency management overall is moving away from a, uh, a background of uh, first responders and, and emergency services, and it's kind of its own field with uh, its own education paths and, and, and things like that. So it was kind of interesting to hear the comment about the importance of actually having some sort of first responder background, uh, essentially some street cred. Yeah, that street cred idea or being able to speak first responder, he's definitely leveraged that and definitely used that to his advantage. You know, he is yeah. never out of uniform. And even that, I think, is different from a lot of emergency managers and emergency management programs is he, he has a uniform. He has something he can put on and show up and be relatable to other first responders, whereas most don't. You know, you're lucky if you get an ICS vest <laughs> during response. And I'm I'm torn on that because... We're not supposed to be first responders, but we need to speak the language. We do need to have that little bit of engagement. And a lot of the, the problems that we've talked about on this podcast before, whether it be bringing uh, external agencies in or bringing in volunteer uh, agencies, there is still that responder and non-responder gap. Yes. Um, I, think, I think he's bridged that in a lot of ways, but he also uses the responder credibility yes well it, it certainly yeah it gives you uh some some authority i mean i think when you show up uh, in a, in a uniform, uniform to any situation um so that's a deliberate choice and i think that it's an interesting one um certainly it's worked well in the calgary uh experience but not uh uniform <laughs> across the country uh, yeah you know one of the other things he mentioned that struck me as really interesting was uh, his comment about the most useful course he ever took was a hostage negotiation course. Yeah. I, I don't know who the hostage is in, in emergency management, <laughs> uh, but yeah. that idea of facilitating consensus in super politically charged or super, super emotionally charged uh, environments certainly rang true. Huge. 
Yeah, no, I think it speaks to the point that communication really is a learned skill. And uh, if anybody's taken like a verbal judo course, for example, they'll talk about this concept of tactical empathy, which uh, can be really useful, especially when uh, tempers are running high and, and uh, um, you know, being able to, to, to be very purposeful in, in the words you choose to, to, uh, to kind of bring people together or, or calm people down in some cases, I think is, is quite helpful. Um, I guess maybe we'll have to uh, sign up for a hostage negotiator. Course. That's right. Wasn't, if one comes up. wasn't quite on my list, but I think I'm going to put it there. Yeah. I mean, I think, uh, the, the take home point here is that it's a lifetime of experience and, uh, there's probably no one right course, uh, but it really is not an entry level job being a, a senior emergency manager. And it's, it's that broad collection of different experiences, whether it be from emergency services or from other backgrounds that, uh, you all kind of have to, you know, build your toolkit essentially. And, um, you know, gain all those different competencies because to be an effective leader, you can't be, you know, you need the technical expertise, you need the organizational expertise, the communications expertise. It's all these different things that kind of come together. And, you you know, I think there is a difference between being an emergency manager in a role such as a emergency program coordinator or supervisor or something like that, and then being the director of emergency management for a major city. I, I think those are really two completely different skill sets. So if you're listening to this like I was and feeling extremely intimidated that <laughs> I wasn't uh, doing all of the same things that Chief Sampson was, I think there's obviously a ton of different roles in emergency management. And, and that leadership and political acumen, I think, is still valuable to them all. But my big realization as I was re-listening to this is there's a reason that different municipalities choose different roles. There are still uh, huge discrepancies and disparities between how municipalities across Canada manage their emergency management programs and their municipal emergency management acts, et cetera, et cetera, um, from merging them with bylaw to having an emergency program coordinator to having the very political and... I can only imagine very stressful job of director. Yeah. Well, let's talk about the politics for a second, because yeah. we all know, you know, all <laughs> all disasters are local, but all disasters are political. So um, being politically savvy, I think, is is so key. And it's something we don't really talk about very much in, uh, in any formal training. How do you get that type of uh, political know-how that you can work with other levels of government and, and maybe uh, other just city departments who necessarily aren't aligned with you or your vision for, for preparedness or what your agency is trying to accomplish. Um, how, how do you negotiate all those things? That's a, that's a hard skill to learn. It absolutely is. And I think one of the things that I noticed just working with Chief Sampson uh, was that he was always Chief Sampson. There wasn't a speaking politically Chief Sampson and then a uh, behind-the-scenes Chief Sampson. He was always the chief. He was always professional. Uh, I don't think I ever heard him use sarcasm. I don't think I really ever heard him speak poorly of, of someone. Uh, you know, he. I think he held himself to that standard that allowed him to come across frankly and authentically. And yes. I, maybe that is how you start to survive political environments is to understand yourself and your own interactions with other people and and have that kind of hyper-professional approach yeah and certainly certainly with the media too i mean that uh that carried over uh some of those anecdotes that he shared about his 
relationship with the media and very being very media uh, active, um, you know, I think those are really powerful relationships and it shows kind of a master level communicator that you can do that. And, uh, you know, sometimes you have to have harsh conversations and sometimes you might not necessarily be able to give all the information right away, but uh, still coming across as authentic all the time. Mm-hmm. I think one of the the quotes that was telling is, you know, don't, don't dither, don't let things yeah. fester. Uh, take people aside, understand the, the issue and address it right there. You know, poor relationships grow in, yeah. in the shade. Uh, and if you shine some light on them right away, you can solve a lot of those problems. So as we mentioned a few times now, SEMA, it's a, a newer agency that was built uh, with a lot of uh, Chief Samson's uh, efforts uh, up front. I think it's interesting looking at some of the differences with uh, common practice and sometimes the dangers of of necessarily looking uh, to see what other people are doing and following that. In government, we often like to do these environmental scans all the time and look mm-hmm. what jurisdictional scans. Oh, look, all these other governments are doing it. It must be right. Uh, it takes some courage to have a different vision for an agency and, and build something that's new. Yeah, you know, that I think might be one of the, the major takeaways for me is you can get in a, a vicious circle of copying people. Sure, he had these ideas from New York and, and took some ideas from here here and there, but the Calgary Emergency Management Agency, whether it be the space, the structure, or the environment, uh, has led the way in, in Alberta, at least. Those three questions I just keep on hearing everywhere. You know, what are we not thinking of? Who have we not involved? Who have we not told? And more and more disasters, I believe, are being held in that collaborative fashion instead of just a strict command and control fashion. And I know uh, lots of people might take issue with this, but it doesn't seem like ICS really exists in the SEMA EOC. Um, They've kind of moved beyond that. And I think that was intentional. I think that was uh, with good purpose and it it really does seem to work. Um, But like everything, you have to know the rules before you can break the rules. Yeah, take take what works. And uh, I will refer people to our yeah, great no ICS crap. debate episode <laughs> if you want to further opine those uh, those philosophical questions. I think another uh, idea that popped up is when he said he doesn't believe in unified command. I was like, ooh, there's a, there's a podcast debate episode as well. Yeah, for sure. I think at the end of the day, it's, it's about getting uh, buy-in and having people... Um, believe in a common mission and getting people to work well together. And there's, there's probably lots of ways to do that, uh, uh, whether it's gold, silver, bronze, or whatever uh, system you like to use. So the other quote that I've heard him say many times before, but definitely stands out is the two incidents quotes. The one where you communicate, the one where you don't. doesn't matter what you do. If you have the, the communication, your incident will always go better. How did that ring for you? Back in my Coast Guard days, we used to uh, uh, have a really strict focus on how we used to dock the vessel. And the, and the line went that you can go out to sea as a Coast Guard crew and do the most epic rescue and uh, dramatic, uh, you know, flawless technical recovery of, of people in the water. But when you come back and it doesn't look like your 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 boat is being professionally and and eloquently docked, you know, uh, if you're if you're bouncing off the the pier, so to speak, or your your uh, line handlers aren't in sync, that's what uh, is is perceived uh, by the by the public, and it's that outward projection that is is really important. And even um, you know incidents that we may think from a response standpoint are are going well, uh, if we're not communicating it, it. Uh, 
the perception might not be there. And uh, so that's, that's uh, really important to have that. I think that that engagement uh, throughout the incident. Fair enough. Uh, so perception is reality. Well, I think it's time for the tool of the trade. And why don't we just go with what we know here? Those three famous questions, the Samson three questions, if you like, what are we not thinking of? Who have we not involved? Who have we not told? So Josh, what are we not thinking of? I think we should call it the T3. Will that stick? Um, yeah, no, these are key questions. And uh, I think it's nice having something like this uh, to kind of structure conversations and, and help you with those cognitive biases that you may have to, to prompt some introspection. Um, it's, it's great. And, and I love the story about the plant in the audience. I mean, uh, if you're asking these questions, maybe uh, that's, that's next level, uh, not to be too Machiavellian, but that's next level um, politics as well as plant, having an audience plant. So there you go. Trick, trick of the trade as well as a tool of the trade. Um, I, I really think that is a good real-time reflection tool. Uh, there's so many examples of this outside of emergency management as well, but things like journaling or spending moments for that sort of self-awareness um, are, are so important. And to be able to do that from the top and saying everybody stop, self-reflect as a group, uh, just that action is, is so important. Well, I just want to give a quick uh, uh, final closing uh, quote here. This is from uh, Mayor Nahid Nenshi, uh, who is praising Chief Samson's uh, leadership. And he said, quote, no matter the challenge, Chief Samson has risen to the occasion, putting the needs of Calgarians first. This is a great loss for our city, but I know that the legacy of professionalism and compassion he has shown will forever inspire future SEMA chiefs and all public servants. So uh, certainly from the Epic podcast team, a uh, heartfelt congratulations on a on your uh, very impressive career. And uh, we're uh, looking forward to, to seeing what's next because I'm, I'm sure uh, that's not the, the last of, <laughs> of Tom Sampson. And that's all for this episode of Epic Podcast. A big thanks to Chief Sampson for sharing his time with us. And uh, again, a congratulations from the Epic team on his retirement. Thanks for listening. You've been listening to an Epic Podcast production, a proud partner of the International Association of Emergency Managers Canada and a member of the Alberta Podcast Network. Locally grown, community supported. As always, Epic Podcasts are designed as a supplementary educational tool for the EM professional on the go. The views and opinions explored during this podcast do not necessarily represent the agencies or organizations that we or our guests may belong to. For more information about the show or the people on it, visit our website at epicpodcast.ca or follow us on Twitter at username Epic Podcast. Stay tuned for more on the next episode of Epic Podcast, current, relevant, Canadian.